0: Today is January 8th, 2015, and I want to remind listeners, please go to econtalk.org. In the upper left-hand corner, you'll find a link to a survey where you can vote for your favorite episodes of 2014. Now for today's guest, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. His books include Anti-Fragile, The Black Swan, and Fooled by Randomness. And today we're going to be talking about a recent paper of his, Co authored with Rupert Reed, Raphael Duadi, Joseph Norman, and Yanir Baryam on the precautionary principle, its application to genetically modified organisms, and other general uh, issues related to risk and ruin. Nassim, welcome back to Econ Talk.
1: Hi, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always uh, uh, honored uh, to be on your show, but, but also I have to admit it's a pleasure having a conversation with you. Perhaps we think too much alike, <laughs> and it may be a problem, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint, That's but it's true. always a pleasure.
0: Well, it looks like two data points. It may only be one. That's correct. Um, let's start. What is the precautionary principle, and uh, why is it important?
1: Okay. Uh, you, there's some uh, water on the floor. Okay. Well, on the floor. Do you drink from it? Would you drink from it? No. You know, we're sort of wired to not drink from you know, a little bit of water on the floor, if you're thirsty, you're very careful. But you have no evidence that it's poisonous. Aha. So you're making a decision without evidence. This is the exercise of the the precautionary principle in your daily life. In other words, for things for which you don't have evidence, you sort of try to stay um, cautious until you accumulate evidence. Then you can take the risk. So,
0: you're talking. It's useful in situations where uh, you call it non-evidentiary problems.
1: So, so the, 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 technically, the, the definition, the full definition of the precautionary principle is on decision making: what should be accepted or rejected in situations for which you do not have enough evidence, or you don't have evidence yet. In other words, scientific knowledge has not been. Um, Uh, sufficient in establishing a clear cut answer about things like what you exercise in daily life. 99% of things we do are based on uh, precautionary principles in our daily lives. The, the, but but there's something much deeper there is that as people are getting more and more, uh, into uh, techniques of risk management, they tend to forget that most of the risks we are taking are of non-evidentiary nature in the sense that the evidence comes always too late. And this is what we're trying to avoid. This is a very general concept that people know have always understood in history, in uh, decision making. And but the problem of what we call scientism, uh, you know, the Hayek in the Hayekian sense, Hayekian Popperian uh, sense, scientism this idea of using mechanistic tools from science to make, um, uh, you know, claims and techniques. Scientism has blinded people to, uh, you know, this form of reasoning that is uh, effectively more rigorous than science because, you know, you have an asymmetry. You may die if you're wrong, and if you're right, the payoff may be very small.
0: And you argue you argue very uh, thoughtfully in the paper that... Um Experts uh, are, are important, but you have to pick the right kind.
1: Very, very often, uh, people in a given profession develop expertise about what they're doing. And in, in most domains, they don't quite have a grasp of the risks, simply because your knowledge, uh, professional knowledge, uh, may you know, help you do a lot of things. <laughs> but particularly if it's academic, it's not going to help you understand the risks. This we've seen in many domains. Uh, Like, uh, traders understand the risk because they're pretty much risk managers, built to be risk managers. But uh, the, say, people that we've, you know, we encounter quads, for example, they understand the return because they don't understand the risk of something. But what they don't understand is typically that the risk belongs to a completely different category. In other words, the tail risk, the risk of ruin, is very different from knowledge, So, for example, your risk can increase while your knowledge is increasing. And we have shown in in the paper and in some derivations elsewhere how, for example, sometimes you bring something new, a new technique for which you understand the benefits are going to be great. And what you do is you increase both the benefits and the risk of ruin. So you end up worse off than you started, sometimes from a pure problem with another one. Is this clear enough or should yeah, I so,
0: – Well, I, I think uh,
1: the – Yes, go ahead.
0: I think the um, – I think we've talked about this in a previous episode. You, you have to make a distinction between the process and the consequences of the process, right? So I think uh, –
1: well, Exactly. exactly. So, so for some people, for example, I've noticed that in biology. They understand biology, uh, okay. They understand very well what they are doing in biology. And uh, science is not about uh, making claims about risk. Science is about making um, some verifiable and generalizable claims from a given process and that someone else can read and continue and, and so improving on a body of things. But it doesn't make claims about risk. So we noticed that uh, neurobiologists or biologists in general, but particularly because the thing was done on neurobiologists, but Quite general uh, to that profession and you know to the broad field they understand uh, what they 're doing but they their claims of evidence are usually uh, uh, more than fifty three percent of the time in that experiment in, in that uh, paper we have seen that they they get things wrong when they 're you know making the claim statistically so a statistician can be ranked one step higher than a neurobiologist in uh, uh In a scientific claim, and and the, the 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 error is is common is for example the testing uh, whether uh, uh, A is better than B they test the significance of A and the significance uh, of B, and with that uh, without testing the significance of the difference between A and B, it may be technical <laughs> for the common person, but it's no no in statistics, and yet uh, more than half of papers in top journals in neurobiology make that mistake.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a great
1: point. So, so to say the statistician and effectively the way these people operate, they know biology a lot, but there's a cop called a statistician on top of them who, um, uh, uh studies the paper, uh, and, and puts a stamp on it and typically, you know, runs uh, the data himself or let him run the data on SPSS or something and, and then, uh, uh, gives this approval. So knowing biology doesn't mean you understand the evidence. Okay. And this is quite good. Now, one step higher up is that understanding statistical evidence doesn't mean you understand statistical risk. So let, let's, uh, let's see how. Many uh, people, we have discussed uh, the GMO problem. without going into the details of GMO now, just you know, as soon as any kind of uh, uh, statement about uh, some kind of uh, technology that may improve uh, life for uh, masses of people. So, many of these people think that they have evidence, Okay, and then you read their papers and you look at it, and and no statistician would ever let you say, I have evidence that. This is, again, the black swan problem. A statistician would only let you say, I fail to reject the null at X percent confidence. This is what we brought up, you know, all of us uh, doing in our lives, no? Right, but then, they, but they think so. So here you see that that statistical evidence, or what we call the mechanism, doesn't say anything about the tail. Well, that's,
0: it, the, that's the distinction.
1: It's making about the tail. It's, it's statistics is what happened within that band, and we have enough data to make that claim that this works. But it doesn't say anything about the, the what happens if that claim is not is wrong. And they give you themselves. They say, okay. There's 1% probability or 2% probability or 5% probability of that claim being wrong. But what happens when it's wrong is, is, is usually a different business. And that's where risk management starts. And that's my profession.
0: And, of course, therefore, Nassim is the, is the expert of experts. Uh, you, have, you have to be careful. It is a comforting thought for you. Maybe not for us. No, no, no,
1: no. But not, I'm not an expert on experts. Our, our job is the left tail. Which is a, a sub specialty.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But so when it comes to right tail or benefits and stuff like that, understanding process, body of the distribution, it, it, you know, we have no, uh, you know, specialty or we, or, or may, we may understand some things, but we rank, we don't rank higher. So let me, now that I gave you a hierarchy, I say neurobiologist and you have on top of neurobiologists, you have the statistician saying what, whether, what, what they, they're clear, whether the claims uh, meet statistical, uh, uh, evidence or not. And then higher than it, you have the left tail and it's a complete different business that we have discussed together. Now, one simple analogy of, of why you need, uh, um, why people sometimes in the profession are not qualified to talk about the risk of the profession is what we call the carpenter fallacy. Uh, the, the, if you, uh, you want to understand the risk of ruin for a sequence of bets, Okay, it's a, you know, a standard uh, result in probability. But who would you go to for that problem? Would you go to a carpenter who builds the roulette or would you go to a probability person? But a carpenter may claim, hey, you know what? You're insulting me. I know very well how this is built and stuff like that. But his knowledge of the carpentry involved in building the roulette table doesn't Allowing to make claims as to the probability distribution of what's going to happen, and then less even about claims, you know, uh, uh, concerning large deviations, the sequences of the long sequences of, of tail events. You, you see my point? I do. So, so we, here we have, right? So this is, the, the, and that, this is where the, 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 we're positioning that precautionary principle, is by saying that there are some people who are in the business of that very left tail. Who are in a different, uh, 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 completely different, um, uh, operate in a different science than yours. Uh, science never really talks about left tails. Only journalists think science talks about that. or bad scientists. Okay. And then you need a cop for that. That's it.
0: So the way I think about it that I learned from your paper is really a distinction between harm and ruin. Exactly. So in one world, uh, You know, you play poker every night and some nights you lose a dollar, some nights you make a dollar, some nights you might lose five dollars. But if you're in a neighborhood poker game, you're not going to lose your uh, entire wealth. Uh, You're not going to have ruin. But you're dealing with cases, you're making a a crucial distinction between harm, which is that some nights I might lose a little money versus being wiped out in the case of the the globe,
1: uh, talking about extinction. Uh, exactly. So, so what, what, uh, uh, what happened is that to frame it with, you know, then the discussion we, uh, you know, of the three layers of, of, of knowledge from the biologist to the statistician to the risk uh, analyst, the body of the distribution is typically the job of the statistician. Variations, all these things. It's not our, our job. Our job is ruined, it's completely different dynamics. And for many probability distribution, the, there's a complete decoupling between variation and ruin. You, well, you remember when I published the Black Swan in, uh, it was in April 2007. If I received the Mexican peso for every time someone mentioned the great moderation to me, that the world is becoming a lot safer because it's less volatile. See? I would probably own a, uh, a big uh, strip of land in uh, northern Mexico. You so, because so what? And then, of course, sure, the crisis happened, and it was not a change of regime. It was nothing. It was just that that they're making claims concerning tail events from observation of the body distribution, and for a class distribution that we're used to work with with fat tails, these claims cannot be made at all. You see, so the risk can increase, while at the same time, variation can get smaller. And this is where Gananki went wrong, because he was not trained enough in statistical, uh, you know, in fat tails to make, uh, you know, to understand the risk, another ethical problem. Uh, Why are... Uh, Let me steal here, now, let me steal a metaphor that you gave me. Actually, I've used it before, and I gave you credit the first couple of times, and I stopped giving you credit, so maybe... (laughs) <laughs> uh, the, so I, I owe it to your uh, listeners is I learned from you uh, something is that you remember when, when you when we were talking about the difference between a systemic uh, or and, uh, and fat tail systemic event and a um, and uh, a catastrophe a small time catastrophe is that if a plane crashes it will it's a tragedy because it will kill the people on a plane and it's a great loss very bad news but a plane crash will not kill every single person who ever took a plane before. Whereas in some domains, such as finance, for example, banks can lose in a single quarter, every single penny they ever made before. So, so in fact, tail domain, you have to be very careful because the tail is absorbing. It's a lot worse, but that's only money. It's a lot worse when we talk about the environment. Fastly worse because this is not renewable. Uh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No. So, talk about the underlying processes. I mean, it's it's a little bit um, a little bit puzzling to an amateur as to why fat tails are so important. So, for example, if I have thin tails, well, it just means that ruin is just very unlikely. So, it's still possible, though. So, why are fat tails important?
1: Fat tails are important because, uh, the, number one, you don't, you don't notice the variation that I said are compressed. So you don't notice, uh, that the risk is present. You, they are, um, in, in the thin tail domain, evidence can accumulate as to riskiness of something. If you go to Las Vegas and observe for three days, you pretty much have, understand everything. You can predict anything that can happen. You see, because, uh, the tails um, are so tractable and the law of uh, large numbers operates very quickly for fat tails you need a lot more data to know what's going on and when an event happens it can hit you big time and the consequences of the event can be monstrous So, which is why we cannot uh, be casual about fat tail domains now we can uh, Ex ante, figure out that something is fat tails. We know the ecology is rather fat tailed But the crises in an ecosystem are not systemic because we have isolations. We do not have a uh, large-scale uh, generalization, uh, you know, or we did not have that before GMOs, which is why I'm worried about GMOs.
0: Well, the example you give, I think, that makes that so clear is, is a forest fire. A forest fire is extremely destructive. But there are all these natural built-in barriers. There's oceans, there's rivers, there's mountains, there's, there's natural fire breaks that keep a fire from being a catastrophic event. Uh, but what, what you're worried about is something that has the potential to cross those barriers.
1: Exactly. So, so the, the, the way we say that nature has not blown up, or at least, uh, you know, it's a history of a process. We have zillions of variations, trillions and trillions of variations. And on, on Mother Earth, and it didn't pro- produce some tail events, but not pronounced enough to cause extinction. So even if we adjust by what we call the survivorship bias or some uh, similar principle, we just uh, can can make claims that nature seems to have survived thanks to a mechanism by which catastrophes stay relatively local. So things don't spread. So in other words, the plane crashes but doesn't kill every single passenger, <laughs> you know, on other planes or or, or those. With the, ever took a plane before you see things stay confined and isolated we had that in economic life of course until uh, globalization and you saw what happened the crisis now uh ha- took place on the planet in 2008 and there's no place to hide or almost no place to hide and the ecology is going to be worse we used to have uh, uh, an island separation an early island barrier and, uh, and, and you, which produced effectively some amount of diversity because diversity is much higher in per square meter on an island than it is on a continent. Um, and, and we're losing it, and we're losing it uh, through uh, a lot of methods. But, but we'll come back to that uh, uh, in a minute. Now I have one other element of Fat Tales I want to add to, so we can, we can uh, inform the, the rest of the conversation, which is as follows. Many people understand that there's a risk of ruin and it can be very small and, and hey, you know, sometimes you got to take it, you see. Many people understand that. And that yet, but few understand that that risk needs to be zero, not small. Why? Because think of uh, what happens in a sequence of risk-taking. If you take a risk, say with a Russian roulette, a risk of ruin, and survive, what would you do next? Hey, you may take it again. Aha. So many risks that are very, very small, because you survive survived them, lead to 100% risk of ruin.
0: Right, because you get, well, it's the, um, there's a couple of things we've talked about before. I find that extremely um, powerful, which is what you call the turkey problem. Which yeah, got from Bertrand Russell that every day the turkey is being taken care of by the farmer and thinking every day gets additional and new evidence that it's safe it's fine he's a, he's got the he's got a good life until Thanksgiving comes and he's killed um and similarly uh value at risk in the financial crisis you know, it's working you know it's fine we're, we're making profits every quarter we're, we're very we're very prudent we're very careful because we have this tool that we use and um I may have mentioned this before, by a friend c- c- who is um, skeptical of your work, I won't name him on the show, but he says to me, uh, Oh, everybody knows value at risk is dangerous. I said, Well, it's true. But if you, in theory, but after a while, if you keep using it, you probably get lulled into uh you're not yeah. careful. And if you don't have other feedback loops that make you wary, you are very likely to start thinking, I've got this licked. So you fire the Russian roulette. The bullet doesn't kill you because it's got a thousand chambers, or maybe a hundred thousand. But if you live for for forty years, you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is what people fail to get: that ruin is not a renewable res- resource, except an insurance. You see? Explain. Let me explain. Um, if I play Russian roulette, if I play things like that, it is i'm not. Uh, um, it, the probabilities add up. So, you know, the people, uh, the mountain climbers uh, have a very small probability of dying in any given um, episode. But what happens? Hey, you know, they survive. So they're going to, attempt to be tempted to do it again. So eventually, the last expectancy is going to be much shorter yeah. simply because they do a lot of episodes. Yeah. So the, the under repetition and, and you end up uh, with a 100% guaranteed ruin. So you lose, it's, it's, it's a resource that's not renewable. And, and people fail to look at the uh, risk that way. It's that you look at risk of one episode, not succession of tail risk taken by the planet. So I have no problem people taking risks so long as everyone stays local, not, you know, doesn't threaten the whole, um, human race.
0: And you mentioned, you mentioned insurance because it's like, uh, the cat having nine lives. I get another. Get no, no, because the the
1: insurance, money. you have a cash flow. So the idea for insurance, and they understand the problem very well since uh, Kramer, Lindberg, the guys who uh, who studied uh, uh, insurance, they, they looked at um, some kind, some process that compensates the risk you're taking because you're making some money to accumulate in some, some reservoir that's going to be depleted, but not 100%. So the idea is to calibrate your risk-taking to what you're getting into the reservoir. In insurance, you can do that in ecology, in many domains, you cannot do that because the reservoir is not being filled. We're just wasting risk, you see? So what happens in the end, risk accumulates 100% probability of ruin.
0: So let me ask one more uh, general question, then we'll turn to GMOs and environmental issues more generally. So in the book, you talk in the article, you talk about uh, a contrast between bottom-up, local events leading to thin tails, whereas global connected top-down events are going to be fat-tailed. Talk about that.
1: Um, the best way I'm going to talk about, uh, before getting to uh, the, the statistical taxonomy of these things, is through a common, uh, probably your your next best uh, economist. Who is your next best economist after Adam Smith? Uh, that would be F.A. Hayek. There we go. So let's talk about Hayek. <laughs> uh, you see, I, 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 now by now I can read you. I right? got nervous.
0: I got nervous there for a minute. But I, I got the right answer. I'm, I'm relieved.
1: What was the idea of Hayek? Why did Hayek want distributed knowledge in society? Nothing, no monopoly of knowledge by anyone, okay? Because he wants the errors to be distributed. Because he thinks that, that the system uh, knows more than any individual part of the system. And also because he thinks we cannot forecast, the mind cannot foresee its own advance. Uh, that, that's another profundity. It's not just we can't forecast, we can't forecast how we're going to forecast in the future. So really, the, the, uh, let's call it Popper Hayek, because they really worked on that together. And, and, and the two friends were uh, were uh, uh, brilliant and in, in, in slightly different domains. But so he was just so Hayek was against what against a top down social planner who Thinks he knows things in advance, can foresee results, and makes money you know. because that person, you know, first of all, has has arrogant claim that may harm us, but also because his mistakes, he's not going to see his own mistakes, and mistakes would be large. So you see where I'm coming from?
0: Yep. It's Adam Smith's man of system, also same problem.
1: So, so uh, now let's continue in Hayek's uh, thought. We had, and, and let's see, he, this led science, uh, uh, Hayek to stand against what he calls scientism. Scientism is he find some, an unscientific uh, uh, use of science. And, and I've encountered with uh, pro-GMO people who keep attacking me uh, the, uh, the, the, the scientism because they say, oh, I'm for science, okay, risk management is science fiction. And then, you know, there's no point, uh, not even wrong, Hayek uh, has solved the problem, that problem of scientism and and false claims of, uh, what, 50, 60 years ago. And he, effectively, is a man who was vindicated. There's something even more interesting than that about uh, um, Hayekianism. You know, the opposite of Hayek, you know, people who did exactly what he was against, were the Soviets, no? yeah. Now, it so happened that there is a branch of mathematics largely developed by the Soviets in dynamical system, Arnold, uh, and I just one just got the Ebel Prize in, in that tradition started by the Soviets in the Soviet uh, Union in, in the heyday of Soviet science about uh, uh, nonlinear dynamics, and and the last one was a billiard ball uh, fellow, um, Yakov Sinai. Um, who got it, who got the Abel Prize. And he probably, you know, the most crowned mathematician alive today. Now, what did the Soviet mathematician say? Hey, you know what? In the complex system, you can't predict. That's sort of what they said, okay? <laughs> Financed by whom? By the social planner. Yeah,
0: that's ironic.
1: So, And nobody nobody saw the contradiction, right? Nobody saw the contradiction that if, if they're right, then they should have no Soviet system. So, but, I'm telling you, it's ironic, but let's not laugh too early because it looks like many people are making that mistake.
0: Well, it's a common problem. I know, making it in different when you switch domains. So the
1: fact is, the, 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 the mistake isn't the mistake of thinking that an environment is predictable when it's not. It's a mistake of not realizing that the, an idea developed in one domain, okay, can apply to another one, while accepting that these two domains have same operating um, mechanisms. You see, is that, you know, if we continue, Hayek effectively looked at nature as a format by which things, um, you know, uh, he sort of like thought of nature directly and indirectly uh, and, and, and thought of the organic directly or indirectly as operating according to his principle of distributed knowledge and technologies and tinkering Away from that central planning mode,
0: and that well that's why that's why uh the latest paper on macroeconomics that claims that such and such an intervention is good for the economy is or bad for the economy is the same as the epidemiologist who claims that drinking coffee or wine or whatever it is is good or bad for you,
1: and they find, they find it. some it's data. Much- I would say it's benign. It's benign to say drinking coffee is good or bad for you. It is a benign claim, and and uh, and, and, and some uh, such claim can be rigorous. But let's say now, who's a Soviet planner when it comes to nature? Aha, Do You see where, I, where I'm coming from? Well, let's talk about that. So, yeah. so G.M.O. So, if you look at evolution, okay, if you look at how uh, we get to get, you know, from. Things get from point A to point B is by small tinkering, where mistakes are kept small and local. And you cannot foresee interaction in a given complex system unless you experiment with it. And that's Hayek. That's uh, the 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 mathematics that we have behind it. It's an entire class of Schumpeter. mathematics about. Yeah. I don't know about Schumpeter, but, but but I know about the real mathematicians who have worked on these problems and dynamical systems. Really, you you cannot really uh, uh, forecast uh, interactions between systems are too complex. And you can explain it to someone, say, with a, with a, the, you know, to explain limits uh, with all kind of incompleteness theorems we have or with simple example uh, of, of billiard balls, okay? So we, the problem <laughs> is that natural, the, the natural systems, this is universality of, of complex systems, have opacity if you look at them from the standpoint of a social planner, but they're very understandable if we look at them from a the perspective of uh, a complex system that has uh, evolutionary uh, uh, attributes. So what you, what you do is time counts a lot. You put things together, let them interact. And then there's some dynamics of interaction, and you'll see if the system doesn't blow up, okay, then it's a good system. If it blows up, then it's a bad system. And the system would anyway clean itself automatically uh, using this uh, uh, these mechanisms, okay. And it's a small tinkering, feedback loops. Sorry, it was feedback loops between things, okay. In anti-fragile, you look at I, I presented it in terms of different layers. You have a fragile layer at the bottom. You know, like your your cells, and then you have uh, you know hierarchy. You have above the cells, then you have individuals, and then you have societies, and then you have families, and then societies, and so on. Uh, and then humanity, and, and, and then you have a, or species, and, and stuff like that. So you have hierarchies, and and then you have uh, 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 of course evolutionary mechanisms at all levels of the hierarchies. So this is how things work in nature, and 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 most. I'm not saying anything that, that's not true for evolutionary biologists, but that uh, process of tinkering, is accepted. Okay, now let's and, and that was bricolage actually. The word tinkering I'm using now it comes from bricolage, from the, the famous uh, Monod uh, and uh, Jacob paper, uh, uh, the French two French people who got the Nobel in, in the sixties. Now, now, when we look at GMOs, what, what are we doing with GMOs? We're, just a sort of, we're skipping steps. You get a tomato, okay, the GMO tomato may, according to the, the, the FDA, be the same as a tomato that was obtained organically through uh, natural mechanisms or, mechanism, or human breeding even. But these steps are not the same as skipping zillions of steps to get to, to a tomato, you see? We don't know, in the soil, what's going to do to other plants. We don't know what's going to do to you. We have a lot of unknowns. So, when you have a lot of unknowns like that, you put the precautionary principle until further notice. So that's what we're doing.
0: But, and I we interviewed I interviewed uh, Greg Page, who's the former uh, CEO of Cargill, and uh, he's he he accepts the idea that there may be some risks, but he he as you would argue, uh, doesn't uh, think much about ruin. So his view, and I think the view of many people in the industry and certainly many scientists, whether they're tainted by self-interest or not, it would they would say, well, look, people are eating these new tomatoes that have, say, the gene of a fish in it or whatever has been done to it, and they're not dying. And it's hard to understand why you would be worried about the fact that there's going to be, say, a mass extinction of human beings from eating uh, a GMO modified
1: tomato. So
0: what's what's the real what's the scientific evidence? No, no,
1: that's that exactly what we don't want to avoid. Have to talk about scientific evidence when the burden of the proof is on the GMO people to show us that they understand anything, remotely about their tail risk. Which they don't. The tail risk is not someone dying from eating a tomato. That's not that's a that's not a big risk. No, that's not a systemic risk. The big risk is what can happen uh, when you have a uh um, two things going together which is what happens with, with, with the soviet style is a, a combination of mon- a monopoly of some plants over others there is too large a system and of course uh uh creation of, of other species uh, you know that will themselves be also too powerful and then you may 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 kill the gmos or one may kill the other and you may have huge imbalances in nature and these imbalances in nature can produce uh, large deviations. This is our point. And, uh, and we haven't seen any paper looking at the risk from that standpoint. And there, when, they, when people look at risk, we looked at them, some are using 1960s uh, Kenneth's arrow type uh, reasoning, which, of course, is not, you know, it's too primitive to allow us uh, to uh, make any conclusion. And, um, and when people say, what is the evidence? Uh, tell them, hey, you know, what was the evidence that, uh, that smoking could cause cancer? What was the uh, ev- evidence that uh, lobotomy was, was bad? What was the evidence that uh, Teldane, Triludan, Celdane, Ecotrin, uh, Bay, Bacol, Distilbene, whatever, I don't know how to pronounce them, Vioxx, Seoxx, um Telodex, all the telodomide uh, things. Uh, where, 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 where was the evidence that these were harmful? Evidence showed up late. You but see, you sometimes that even in one case across the generation. So it's good to, so you have a, a problem with the reasoning of people okay, invoking evidence when they don't know what they're talking about as far as evidence. Okay, no statistician put a stamp that we have evidence that this is safe. They tell you failure to reject the melt at this percentage, and 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 so they sort of agree. With us, that, that tail is not investigated. We haven't seen investigation of the tail that's properly done.
0: But as, as you point out in the paper, if you're not careful, you can invoke that for lots of things. And you're saying.
1: Exactly. So we are not invoking, for example, nuclear, we cannot invoke the precautionary principle for the nuclear. You see, why? Because the nuclear will stay local. It doesn't mean it's not risky. You see, you may want to ban nuclear for risk purpose. But the nuclear, you could not have a Fukushima cannot destroy, uh, lead to destructions in India or may in India, but not in uh, Lebanon, you see, or maybe Lebanon, but not Cyprus. So you don't have, but if you have now the same crops invading the whole planet, you know, it's too much. You, you know, having GMOs on an island is one thing and generalizing the thing to the planet in the name of science is another thing. And I've, I've heard, listen, if I had, tell, told you, that was a Mexican peso, but if I had the Lebanese lira, right, or make it a Turkish lira, because now it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, trading in Turkish lira action. If I had a Turkish lira, every time I heard people saying that uh, we scientists with a zillion PhDs have, uh, 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 you know, think that these uh, securities are very safe. I'm saying people speaking, uh, employed by Fannie Mae, uh, or Freddie Mac or, uh, Morgan Stanley in 2007 before the crisis. Okay. And they would say, no, there's zero probability of, of, uh, of a tail event. And even if you saw the Stiglitz Orzag report about Fannie Mae. Oh, yeah. They, okay. So, I mean, so, so where is the, the point is you have to deal with skepticism and, 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 the corner of the probability distribution. Okay. Unless you have some, Strong uh, feeling, that, that or or, or a really or a, really, a very very robust uh, uh, reasoning showing that this is not going to harm beyond uh, uh, beyond that local uh, units.
0: Well, let me ask it a different way. Yes, I, I understand. If if you would, well, you said it in two thousand and seven. If you said, well, if if the so called PhD expert said uh, it's been safe so far, you could have said, well, these things are all tied together. You could say that, oh, you have insurance, but every firm has insurance with AIG, and therefore, when everybody goes broke, AIG is going to have a problem honoring their promises. So you could you could say that then. The question now I have is that where's the evidence that this GMO process is a fat tail process rather than a thin tail process?
1: The first thing you gotta, when you think of, uh, are we in fat tail, thin tail domain, <laughs> is look the other way, say, where's the evidence that we are in thin tail domain, see? Nature has some, produces some thin tail, uh, things under a process that, uh, it has to have some kind of balance, uh, and obeys, uh, central limits. So, for example, within species, humans are, you know, the height follows a Gaussian distribution. But nature doesn't deliver uh, uh, centales between species. Look at an elephant versus a mouse. Hey, this is a very fat-tailed process. Or the difference in size between a, a mammoth and a bacteria. So you have, and and they're all life. Okay, the same. Life is... Can take a lot of forms. So nature has is effectively largely fat-tailed, and the way we define fat-tailed in a in a, in a paper is, uh, is rigorously as uh, in the class we call sub-exponential class. So nature is fat-tailed, but why doesn't nature blow up since it's fat-tailed? Aha! Uh-huh. Because effectively you have circuit breakers that transform the fat tails into what we call modified. Thin tails. you see what I mean?
0: Well, you're talking about an example of a there could be extinction on an island, there could be an extinction not, on a exactly, continent
1: exactly, it exactly.
0: local ru- there could be ruin, but it's local ruin
1: exactly so it stays local so nature so so it's much healthier for people to default to fat tails and provide the evidence of thin-tailedness than the other one and I wrote a paper. Actually, a paper. That's a chapter in Silent Risk. I think it's chapter four now. You know, you know how what happened. We keep adding chapters, <laughs> so the chapter Silent not. Silent Risk. Changed.
0: Silent Risk is a manuscript you're working on.
1: It's it's freely available on the web. Right. It's it's uh, it has all the mathematical theorems and backup of, of these things, plus a uh, uh, lot of discussions of, of uh, fat tails, how to calibrate fat tails,
0: and people who are people who are intimidated by the math. Uh, can open just to the beginning and see a cartoon of Nasim Taleb in a boat going over a uh, enormous waterfall as he's saying "stop," and the people on the boat saying "oh, where's the evidence? Anything's wrong with the boat, et cetera, et cetera." So I, I rec- we'll put a link up to it. It's um, it's it's good browsing even for the non mathematical.
1: A great note but well, the, the the book is effectively a, a mathematization of the uh, inserto. Incerto is the four books uh, I've written so far in, in the philosophical essays on uncertainty. And, and the, fourth one, in,
0: the fourth one being the bed of, of the procrustes, bed, yeah, the procrustes, which I did not mention in my introduction.
1: Exactly. So, but there's nothing in, my, um, in, in there uh, that's not said verbally. And what I'm going to discuss now, instead of talking about the mathematical version of Chapter 4 of uh, Silent Risk, I can talk about what I call in a black swan uh, the masquerade problem. That uh, uh, you can always say the process is not thin You cannot, with any confidence, say the process is not fat tailed. Just from observation, simply because fat tailed processes can masquerade as thin tails. And that's a turkey problem.
0: And, and I, I feel bad. We sh- we should have made it clear because I just, I, f- I forget that not everybody's been listening to Econ Talk since 2006. but yeah. Thin, thin tails means that the probability of remote events is very, 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 very vanishingly small. And fat tails means it's small but not zero. Is
1: that exactly. a good summary? It, it, it's a good summary. Another way to view it is not in probabilities but in consequences. Uh, if I gather a thousand people randomly, uh, you know, invite them uh, to an econ talk uh, episode you know, to watch and weigh them, the and then, the, and then you have the total weight, and uh, you add to that sample the largest human being on the planet. That person will not represent more than 0.3 percent of the total. You see, but if you uh, if you do the same with wealth, you would have one. The total you uh, would be maybe uh, because you have a lot of people, you know, living on a few dollars a day on the planet, seven billion people. Uh, total population, you have at least 4 billion very poor people. So odds are you'll have maybe a million and a half net worth for your sample. And then you add to that the richest person on the planet, $75 billion, and look what happens. <laughs> There'd be a rounding error. So which means fat tail is how much uh, the rare event contributes to the total properties. That's it.
0: Although I, I, I'd like to think Warren Buffett is an Econ Talk listener. I don't know that he isn't. So, you know, but go ahead.
1: So the, the so the, the, the idea of, of uh, the, the, that's quite central in in, in in our work, in our paper, and also in the other parts of the insecto, is that there is a clear demarcation between fat tail and thin tails. You can identify uh, thin tails, Uh the, you, you can tell if it's fat tail and 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 very, but but that the demarcation is one sort of one way. Is it's easier to say it's fat tail than thin tail, unless you have deep knowledge of the process.
0: And you make a distinction between a naive precautionary principle and a
1: non-naive. A naive precautionary principle would be paranoia. It would be someone who would not cross the street because it's too much risk. Okay. And uh, you cannot invoke the precautionary in principle on these things for for several reasons. The first one is that if you die, it's not the end of the world. It's not the worst possible thing. And not even for an individual. We're part of a species. We're part of a family. The worst case scenario for me is not my death. It's the death of me plus my close ones, plus my... Uh, extended family plus my uh, village in Lebanon plus uh, my uh, the animals around me plus humanity so so it's not the end of the, <laughs> to say the word, my death is not the end of the world, so that's the first thing. second one is crossing the street is thin tailed in other words we, we, the, the process has very well known characteristics it's uh one in forty seven thousand years like uh, you know uh, probably is very small of dying uh, as a pedestrian. And it's not like I'm going to jump on a highway. And there's a difference between crossing the street and uh, jumping, uh, you know, during uh, uh, at midday on 95, okay, on the highway. Well,
0: and you give the example crossing the street with a blindfold. Is exactly that's, that's... don't
1: cross the blindfold. <laughs> so, so the, the 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 lot of people can invo- have invoked the precautionary principle and effectively debased it by using it and say, hey, let's invoke invade Iraq it's precautionary principle. What we tried to do is the exact opposite of what people thought we were doing. We're not establishing the precautionary principle by adding to it. We're removing from it bad uses of the precautionary principle. And that was the initial intent of the paper.
0: So where are the good uses besides uh, GMOs? You said you're not – nuclear energy is is localized. No, no. Nuclear
1: energy is very risky. It's it's probably riskier than anything else, but it, it can be managed using risk management techniques. You see, it's not a precaution principle. We understand... What, yeah, about, the,
0: what about global warming?
1: Precaution principle. Because we, we only have one planet, uh, one left tail, we only have one planet. We can't really uh, afford to lose it. So I would say we have to exercise precaution there. Even if you only have a very small probability of harming, uh, you know, that, that the real cause may be carbon. Uh, you know, even, even then, you have to Played safe.
0: Are there any other areas besides those two?
1: Well, we exercise a weak form. as I told you, talking to principle every day, but we exercise it uh, uh, in, in its local form. You know, I mean, it becomes a, a local uh, precautionary principle. You exercise it uh, before people board a plane. You know, when you go to the airport, they check you. you know, they don't have any evidence that you're a terrorist. Why do they check you? It's unscientific. You go tell them it's unscientific. You see. That uh, you 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 know you're you're a scientist uh, you lecture you, you can lecture them and uh, no you, this probability of of uh, you know harm is, is is very small but the harm is quite consequential for you so you're very happy that they're checking you and other passengers before you get on a plane so you can exercise that very locally.
0: I think the challenge is well how, how much
1: care should you take? I mean it's. Is How much care should you take? Become, okay, so what we did is, at the level of society, we exercised the precautionary principle to defend citizens against people risking systemic ruin, where well, you have effectively a moral hazard uh, uh, coupled with that, where well, you have systemic ruin, ruin that may benefit Monsanto or some other firm, and harm humanity. This is we need principle about that to protect us, particularly that you have people are maybe using bad science or or pseudoscience in, in a heightened sense. So what, to, defend, to defend such use,
0: and what would be the right way? Uh, so it, again, talking to Greg Page of Cargill, and 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 knowing some people Monsanto, they're very happy to be regulated. In fact, they're eager to be regulated because they they feel that that gives them uh, both. Uh, the stamp of, of approval from, uh, to, for their customers that ma- makes their customers feel better. And often it often also can keep out competitors.
1: I'm not going to get into the details of what we should be doing because uh, the list would be very long, but I'm quite, uh, nauseated at the behavior of these firms using lobbyists and a category of, of what I call lobbyists dash scientists, unemployed scientists. And effectively, you also have in a biological community some kind of um, what should I say? A kind of a di- uh, the, the, their interests aren't the interests uh, of, of you and I. If, if you're a biologist, it, I mean, it has been shown that if you go to a, radi- a radiologist, they recommend radiation therapy. But if one go, uh, the, the surgeon recommends surgery for a simple ca- cancer case, and the oncologist recommends chemotherapy, so people have a vested interest in using their discipline to solve a problem. If I had a hammer, I'd look for a nail. So it's the nail and hammer situation on the part of the biological community. So, they, but but what I find very nauseating is uh, what I have seen uh, by these large conglomerates in, um, in 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 the approach in in uh, 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 because it's not just I don't care less about I care about GMO, but it's not it's very small compared to the hijacking of science by scientism and why 60 years after Hayek approached the problem. And 40 some years after his Nobel Prize, the pretense of knowledge, we are now committing things that are a lot worse than we did before in the name of science. And this is what bothers me at these approaches. You see? Well, when we're more confident. Yeah. So that means also, what bothers, that means also okay. what bothers me even more. Yes. You know, so I made that thin tail, fat tail, uh, uh, uh comparison by showing that consequences may be very large in a fat tail domain. So you have to be more cautious. Now, a bunch of psychologists have been invoking irrationality, saying, hey, people are irrational. And you look at uh, what they're basing the claims on, and you notice that, hey, you know, they're using a probability distribution, and they say, well, there's something, uh, we've read in some paper, there's a long-shot bias that people overestimate small probabilities. Therefore, uh, people are irrational of uh, you know, uh, uh, here. This is nonsense. This is kind of nonsense committed uh, by Cass Sustine, but, but by other people as well, pathologizing uh, people who worry, because, hey, how did we get here? It pays to be paranoid. <laughs> you actually have to be paranoid. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and, and also, when you change their model, when you look at their model, they don't know the fat-tailed exists. So if you use a fat-tailed uh, model, hey, it becomes very rational to worry about these things. You see, it is very irrational to worry about sharks in San Diego when the probability is very low, or to worry about crossing the street. That's paranoia. And and I'd like, for example, also worrying about taking the flying uh, versus driving. It is paranoia. It's very irrational. I agree with the psychology literature on that. But it's not irrational to worry about terrorism or Ebola or things that have a fat tail. Yeah,
0: I, I, I want to take the... Let me try to restate that because I've always, like you, found that uh, perplexing. Um, you're nauseated. I'm perplexed. But the, the example that people often say in this literature is that people overestimate the uh, the riskiness of some process. And what they mean by that, I think, is that they don't follow the expected value. And my thought is why would it be rational for an individual to use the expected value – for precisely the reason you talk about, which is that it's true that if the expected value, if I play the game a million times, the expected value is, is going to be, say, positive. But if I play it once and I'm dead, that, that's a bad game. I don't want to play that game. I don't, I don't get that.
1: This reminds me of another conflation that people make in their minds, that improving returns with lower risk. So if you're picking up pennies in front of a streamroller, you're probably all odds. You're gonna end up in the cemetery. You agree? Yeah. But the pro- but but the the probability of dying isn't gonna change whether you're picking pennies or dollars.
0: Correct. Just question That's, of when. Yeah, exactly. So
1: it's the same. Nothing changes whether you're picking up pennies, dollars, or hundred dollar bills. Okay. Right. It's a fast so,
0: steamroller. And uh, you're right. Oh, but but they're thousand dollar. It's they thousand dollar bills. Right. Yeah, they're, but it's still you're still preoccupied with picking it up means that yep. you're going to get rolled over sometimes. You should probably not – you should get out of the way.
1: Yeah, so let me get mathematical one second because this, this paper is, is, is the hardest – has been the hardest for me to communicate with your audience because it's fundamentally mathematical and mathematical, and we're being verbalistic here. Um, but there's uh, something about the, the probability distribution that if you're – very often uh, – this is why I like to invoke precaution principle in some cases where people want to improve using something more complex – too complex for the situation itself. Uh, the left tail reacts vastly more to the scale of the distribution, which for a Gaussian or log normal would be the sigma, the standard deviation. But uh, what we call the scale is more general for, for include distribution. that don't have a variance, the ones I usually work with. So the left tail reacts more to the scale than to the mean of the distribution. And the more you go on a left tail, the more it reacts to the scale, and less it reacts to the mean. You see? So what, what your risk of ruin may increase when you may, when you suggest a more favorable approach, which is why I worry about geoengineering. So if you worry just about the risk of ruin, improvement, uh, uh, any improvement that because it doesn't have a track record brings some uncertainty into the system increases that risk of ruin. And we have to be very careful.
0: Well, and, and I want to um, just make sure we get this point in, which you mentioned in the paper, and it actually it came up in the previous episode with Greg Page, which is, you know, some people say, but, but if we don't try this, we have face a different kind of ruin, because we're all going to starve to death, and that's absurd, that's, that's not... That's
1: beyond absurd, that's beyond absurd, so what I call the Russian roulette fallacy, say, so, you know, my family's going to starve if I don't play Russian roulette, all right? Well, it's going to starve more if you die, you see. So the, the 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 Russian, but people, a lot of people invoke it, but and then we actually we, we give it a different name. We call it the te- technological salvation fallacy, and mathematized it looks uh, cl- very clear, but in, in words it doesn't strike people. But uh, like they're coming up with this idea of a um, uh, GMOs. It's called golden rice. Okay, about what's the problem? Well, there's a problem of uh, of uh, vitamin. Uh, Whatever vitamin, yeah. yeah. So whatever vitamin, vitamin A, C, whatever you want. So tell them, okay, different vitamins. Let <laughs> me <You> see. Okay, <laughs> like, uh, no, this is bad. It's not better because it's more technological. The more complicated your answer, the more uncertainty you bring into the system. So you may be uh, uh, doing something cheaper and so on. Another, an, another element. I mean, this, is, this is quite critical to, to realize that the discourse on GMO is of an inferior quality than the one we had in finance, you see so so w- when we were arguing about the risk of these securities, the people on the other side uh, of my skepticism and uh, of that of my peers w- were vastly more sophisticated than the people on gMOs you see because they don't realize, hey, you know what, if you want to solve hunger, hey, just stop the biofuel uh, uh, nonsense, you see. Yeah, it point. is not, it is to try to solve hunger by solving hunger. Don't try to solve hunger by creating the technology that has, un, that, that has un, still unknown, and I repeat, still unknown, unintended consequences.
0: But I want to, I want to come back to your, um, your point about, um, in the case of, of the, how the benefit, the increase in the benefit can actually be, um, part of the problem. You know, people would say, well, we need this, this global, financial system, we need these derivatives because the benefits are so large and or in the case of GMOs we need this technology because it, it feeds the world the, the problem is is that, that 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 globalization part that systemic part it, is potentially the, the source of the ruin
1: exactly That's but we, have, we have to realize that uh, and that again has hiatus to follow the logic of the system in the way it has managed its own problems in the past. Uh, we we uh, believe there is something called a naturalistic fallacy, appeal to nature and stuff like that, but it's in the moral domain, but in the risk management domain, nature, unfortunately, is still much smarter than humans. It has a much longer track record. And as scientists, we can go by the track record. Uh, let me mention a couple of things here because I've got to talk about my co-authors, not just me. So, so
0: and let me go through a list of co-authors and before, you you, before him yeah, before you do I just want to mention that you mentioned that this paper is um, difficult to talk about verbally because it's so mathematical I, I want to tell listeners we'll, we'll put a link up to it it's actually all the maths in the appendices there's some there's a few charts and statistical distributions in the paper itself but most of the paper is very accessible and I encourage people to go uh, to read it and and
1: and check it out but go ahead yeah, no, no, but the, 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 the support. Yeah, the backup is nonverbal. The math, I mean, the math, yeah, somehow we expressed in words, uh, the, the math, but, but it's backed up by the math. And we discovered one, I discovered one thing that's effectively a chapter one now of silent risk is that when you talk in a verbalistic way about risk, um, you, uh, you, 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 you make a lot of mistakes. Sure. Well, risk can only be discussed mathematically because, as we mentioned, what is risk? Is it a tail risk? Is it a risk of variation? Is it a risk of making money? It, no. So, the, the is it variance? Is it tail alpha? Is it tail exponent? What is it? Okay, is it right tail, left? So, the the mathematically seems become much cleaner, and then you realize once you put things down mathematically and and you map payoffs, as I did in chapter one, is that very often it's very rational to worry about some things. And very irrational to worry about others, uh, which is the exact opposite uh, uh, of what claims are made in the literature. I mean, the psychology, rationalization literature, decision science literature, which is still in its infancy and based on thin-tail thinking.
0: So do you want to say uh,
1: anything about your co-authors? Yeah, one? my co-authors. Okay, so I, Yen- I did mention them at the beginning, but you can mention them and again. You mentioned them. Let me give the background, okay? Because we, we, we uh, Yannir is a physicist, a uh, complexity physicist by origin, but has published zillions of papers in molecular biology, and in uh, and, and uh, uh, Joseph Norman is a uh, uh, biologist now doing, uh, you know, uh, working on system, mathematizing uh, biological systems. Uh, Rafael Duadi is uh, my co-author in two other papers, uh, particularly the one on fragility, is a uh, mathematician, and and he's there because of his knowledge of dynamical systems. You know, he speaks Russian, which is very important. We wanted someone who knows dynamical system and knows the Russian rigor in it, you see? And Rupert Reed is a uh, uh, professor of philosophy, and, and, of course, uh, very, very versed in decision science and what is rationality, what is not a rationality. And then use truly, a, uh, I define myself principally, as someone who deals with less tail risk. That's it.
0: Well, Sim, you're just a flaneur. We know that. You're, That's you're, just... I became, I've done a lot of I've done
1: so much. That you see, every year, I start the year with, hey, what do I want to do this year? And the more I tell myself I want to take it easy, do flaneuring, The more I end up doing mathematics and no flannery. (laughs) So, so, so my resolutions are not, uh, are going, you know, in the opposite direction. This is very very strange when you don't have any pressure to do anything. That's when you do the work that uh, is in you that wants to come out and uh, is now unfettered.
0: A paradox, a paradox. Let's, let's close with the following uh, question. Uh, It's very hard to stop human initiative uh, and innovation. So, Cloning, uh, for example, at the human level has unknown consequences for our culture or civilization. We had a recent episode here about superintelligence. We had a couple, actually, people who were worried about smart machines, uh, whether that could have, I think you could certainly invoke potentially the precautionary principle there. And one view says, well, these are all interesting things to worry about, but they're almost impossible to stop. No, no, that's, uh, uh, uh,
1: let, let me, let me stop here one second. All right. Yeah. All these are peanuts. All right. Artificial intelligence is peanuts compared to uh, dealing with ecosystem. You see, this is why we worried about GMO is a clear cut. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of big, big names worrying about artificial intelligence. It's not a big deal, you know, because artificial intelligence, it may be risky, but what I'm saying is that it's not the same scale. As harming irreversibly the ecosystem. Well, and, some,
0: some people think it is. Some people think it's
1: going to turn think us into. This, this is why we put down the precautionary principle. Okay. I'm not worried about antibiotics because, you know, it may harm some people. They don't multiply. Okay. It changed probably the flora in your hey, organism. That's fine. It won't change the planet. Right. Uh, we worry about uh, a lot of things. No, if we had actually our precautionary principle. Okay, is confined to what can really lead to ecocides or destruction of life on the planet beyond humans.
0: But come back to my point, which is in all these areas, whether they're worrisome or not, um, and and of course, there are many things that fall short of ruin that are still uh, very unpleasant.
1: I think we'll be able able to stop soon enough with these. This is why. Let's continue with artificial intelligence. If it gets alarming, you can stop. This is not a, a thing where you can. You put the switch on; you can't put it back. Oh, question,
0: my question is a cultural question, not a not an uh, engineering question. It's very hard to put public policy in place that will stop people from making machines smarter, from making genetic innovation, from cloning human beings. Do you think there's any chance that we're going to be cautious in in this area? In just given your warnings.
1: If it weren't for lobbies of Monsanto, we'd be very cautious of GMOs. You see the FDA, but they come up with this argument that it's the same thing as a tomato, therefore doesn't need regulation. But the FDA has uh, effectively slowed down, slowed down, you know, human uh, aggressiveness in many areas. So we have been in the past able to c- curtail um, uh, foolish uh, scientism. We have stopped snake oil salespeople. We have stopped. Uh, uh, People from harming others in, in many domains. Um, can we stop uh, technology? We should not stop technology. Uh, what uh, innovation in our paper? And our paper is meant to, to precisely uh, uh, stop the paranoia.
0: But is it, is it, a second question would be is it too late? I think you say 90% of the corn in the United States is genetically modified.
1: That's a, the problem, is uh, never too late. <laughs> you have to do something. But, uh, you will have, whether it's too late or not too late, we have to do something. And, and in the second version of the paper, we're discovering even things that are more alarming from, uh, reports in Switzerland. And Switzerland doesn't have GMOs. But, uh the, uh, the, I mean, nature is, uh, smart. Uh, but again, we don't have a lot of time, uh, to stop monsters from, from taking place. Uh, we, we should, we should act. on on GMOs. But again, the gist of our paper is not to curtail risk-taking, but to remove the paranoia from some classes of risk-taking to help, because effectively, to help people innovate. You see, husbandry, agriculture, there are local uh, things. Uh, Technology, technology revolution, there are local things. And all this is irreversible. See, we are reversing the effect of Bad effect of uh, technology in many places, pollution, pollute rivers. You can reverse a okay? You cannot reverse what is generalized.
0: My guest today has been Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Nassim, thanks as always for being part of Econ Talk.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Russ. Thanks once again.
0: This is Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty.